Dr. Chris Labos is standing by. Uh, by the way, uh, Dr. Labos, congratulations. Standing room only at your book signing on the weekend. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great success. It was far far more than I was could have possibly expected or hoped for. And I suggested to you as well that uh, so your book is called uh, "Does Coffee Cause Cancer?" And yeah. and what and then eighth what? And eight more myths eight more about myths. the food we eat. Yeah. Right. So, uh, given the success of your book, I'm suggesting perhaps uh, is this will this be a series now or what? I, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. It's very hard to sort of not hard, but it takes a lot of time to sort of coordinate and plan these uh, book deals and such. But anyways, we'll see what happens. I I certainly have a roadmap and an idea for the book and how it would map out. It's a question of you know making it happen because navigating the the literary world is uh, is almost as complicated as practicing medicine. Okay, I, you know I've given a suggestion to you. I don't know if you want to follow up on that. I thought given the success of this one, maybe your next book could be. Does tea cause diabetes? Yes. What do you think? If, if you know, if you're going to have a series, you got to sort of well, yeah, framework. But yeah, uh, yeah. okay. I, I suspect I suspect we'll do something along the lines of looking at a lot of these supplements and stuff that are out there, like artificial sweeteners okay. and all that, because. Uh, and it was funny, right after the event, a bunch of people came up to me and was like, oh, could you do a, a book on this, a book on that? So I've sort of collected about 10 good ideas. So I sort of have the material for a second book ready oh, to go. Oh, there you go. Uh, my third one, by the way, would be, does the red meat cause athlete's foot? But anyway, we can talk about that another time. That's fine. <laughs> let me let me, get, let me get to the topic at hand for today. I saw this story and did a bit of a double take. And then I saw, as so often happens... There are some very uh, famous people, uh, among them Eric Schmidt from Google and Kim Kardashian, all kinds of folks getting up, lining up behind this thing. Full body scans, which are, by the way, not cheap. I saw 2500 bucks. I don't know what it would be here for that. And the idea is you get a full body scan, like an MRI, and it can detect problems before they actually happen, which obviously means they can be treated and prevented. What do you think of this? Um, it is a waste of money. If somebody tries to offer you an MRI scan, put your wallet back in your pocket and walk away in the opposite direction. There, there is no medical value to these things. Uh, in fact, when you see them pop up, as they are doing more and more these days, they're essentially, they're, they're, they are trying to utilize people's anxiety and fear about their health to sell them a very, very expensive thing that really is not useful medically. And this is the problem with these types of scans. I mean, not only do they waste resources, not only do they waste people's money, they detect all these inconsequential little things, and then they tell people, well, go to your doctor. And so you end up having the healthcare system flooded with all these minor issues that frankly should never, been, should never have been picked up in the first place. So people will say, but wait a sec, when I need to go for something else, when you need an MRI, you need a scan, right? We know they're valuable. They, they basically provide an image you couldn't otherwise get. So why would this not be a better idea or a good idea? So there's a difference between getting a scan when you need it. So let's say you sprain your knee and you want to get an MRI of your knee to see if you need to you know, repair your ACL or something like that. If you're doing a specific scan for a specific reason with a clear plan where the result of the scan is going to lead you to do this, that's not screening. That's diagnosis. So we can use radiology for diagnosis purposes, but using it for screening, which is what this is, which is you feel well, you have no issues, let's scan you top to bottom like they do on Star Trek. That's not going to be useful because there's very, very few things that benefit from screening. There are cancer screening protocols that exist, but they're often very, very targeted 
to the specific cancer. So you do a pap smear or one of these newer tests that are being developed now to screen for cervical cancer. You do a colonoscopy or a fecal blood, occult blood test to look for colon cancer. You do a CT scan of the lungs and smokers to look for lung cancer. So you do specific things in specific people. You don't just do MRIs on everybody. That is going to be unsustainable for the healthcare system and is essentially going to precipitate the issues of cost that are starting to become real, real problems for not just us here, but also in the U.S. So let me just put a different spin on this. Let's say the money wasn't an issue. You could afford to do this. You're a worry ward. You're worried about everything and anything. Is there any benefit to come from this if you do a full body MRI? What could it discover? What could it find? That would be something you could then go to someone and treat. Well, so let's give you a very, very common scenario. Let's say you do an MRI and they say, oh, you have degenerative disc disease in your spine. The reality is, is that if I were to go and do random scans on random people walking along the street, you would always find disc disease. You would always find um, a bulging disc or some uh, stenosis or some arthritis and some nerve compression. And most of these things are going to be asymptomatic because the problem is if you're doing these scans, what you're going to detect is the medical equivalent of wear and tear. But if you don't have any medical context on this patient, you're going to say, well, you have an abnormal scan result go to the hospital, go to your doctor, go do other tests to see if this is important or not. You might find little calcifications here and there. The number of patients that I see um, you know, on a daily basis because they did a scan for some reason, somebody saw calcifications on the heart, and then you say, well, go see if this is important. And we end up doing other tests just to confirm that they are, in fact, fine. So just because you find an abnormality on a scan doesn't necessarily mean it leads to disease, and frankly, it often doesn't. And that's the problem, okay. is that if you're doing these scans for no good reasons, you're going to detect all these unnecessary things that are just going to clog up the healthcare system and make you waste your time and make you get other scans and make you get biopsies you don't necessarily need, none of which is actually good for you or even benign. So last question, then I want to move on. Uh, let's say with respect to a cancer tumor that's beginning to grow, yeah. uh, would that show up? Would, would there have been a, an indication at some point that you would could benefit from one of these first, or you're just doing one as well? I had no idea there's a tumor there. So here's the other thing. There are, there are situations in which we want to screen for cancer, and we already do that. Think mammograms, think colon cancer, right? So we already have these programs in place. So you as a citizen of this country are going to be well-served already by a healthcare system you know, that, that works well, because we've already put these things in place. But to go do a full-body MRI, you're probably not going to catch a cancer that you wouldn't have caught otherwise in a much cheaper and much more efficient okay. fashion. So that's the problem with these things. Fair enough. Let me move on. I want to get in this. Uh, I saw this story today. Child migraines. Uh, we talked about a couple of things that younger and younger people get. I don't recall ever talking about kids getting migraines. I'm sure they exist. What did you make of this story and how serious is this and how do you spot these kinds of things? Well, I think it's, it is a serious pro, uh, problem. Here's the thing. I mean, there was a time when you could sort of like write these things off and be like, oh, kids get headaches, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, kids do get migraines. They, in some circumstances, get migraines more often than, than adults do. And so I, I think there's a realization that this is a problem that does exist because you treat migraines differently than you would a general headache, right? There are specific medications that are useful for migraines. I mean, the good news is, is that most children are going to grow out of stuff like this. And sometimes just, you know, changing diet, changing environment, decreasing stress is going to help. But you need to be cognizant of the fact that this problem exists because there are a certain subset of the population that are going to benefit from specific medications like triptans, for example. 
that are going to be useful. And so you have to be aware that the problem exists to diagnose it. It doesn't mean everybody's going to need medication. Most people may not, but you have to be aware that the problem exists and realize that migraines are not just something that affects older people. So you're a parent hearing this, and now you have something else to worry about. What symptoms should you be looking for here? Right. So not every headache is a migraine, even if we sometimes use the term colloquially to mean just a generalized headache. A migraine is a very, very specific thing. Um, It usually is associated with photosensitivity, so light will make it worse. It's usually a pounding headache that is very episodic, that can last for hours. And obviously, there are atypical versions of migraines, to, to be sure, but those are sort of the classic symptoms. So not every headache is a migraine. And if your child has a headache because they are sick, because they have a high fever or whatnot, Um, that's obviously not that. So being able to distinguish it by looking for those classic symptoms, the big one being the photophobia, the nausea that goes along with the migraine and the specific triggers like loud noises or, you know, certain, certain foods. And then last question, once you notice that if it becomes apparent, what do you do? Is this a trip to the doctor? What, What should you do as a parent? Yeah, I mean, definitely make an appointment. It's not, you know, depending on the urgency, it's not something that has to happen in the next day. But make sure you get seen by a doctor so that you can diagnose properly to make sure it is a migraine. Because if it is, then there are certain specific medications that work for migraines. But for a lot of people, they're able to manage it even without medications. It is a manageable problem. By the way, is any of this related to nutrition? I just heard you say depending on diet. Can it be related to nutrition? There can be certain foods. This is a little bit controversial. There's some doubt about how big they are, but certain foods can be triggers. So many people report that certain foods like you know, chocolate, for example, can be triggers. The, a, a bit dubious in the evidence, but there is some, okay. some suggestion that maybe it can be. All right. Dr. Labos, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Doctor, Take care. You too. Dr. Chris Labos, cardiologist with a degree in epidemiology. And by the way, again, you can check him out here Sundays at 810. He's on Weekends with Ken. Uh, and that book, again, if you want to buy it, and we were out there on Saturday at, uh, at Indigo on the West Island where, as I said, standing room only, uh, taking questions on this book. There's really cool stuff in here. Uh, does, coffee cause cancer, does coffee cause cancer and eight other food myths? It's all in this book. kind of, And it's very, very different from what you might expect, by the way.